You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and into ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Annie Mitchell, welcome back. Hey. Sunday gospel reflections here at the ICC. We are in the sixth Sunday of ordinary time, otherwise known as I don't know, Sunday. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, anyways. Last weekend we failed to mention was Septuagesima Sunday. That's when we Romans bury the Alleluia. But I understand that you like use Alleluia even more during Lent. Is in the right? Byzantine tradition, we do. Yeah, it yeah. is what it is. But here we are. It's 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 we're look, we're 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 what a week and a half out. Yeah, pretty much. We're yeah, a week and a half out from the beginning of our Lenten journey. And you're thinking to my yourself, I haven't gotten rid of my Christmas tree yet. Which is <laughs> true in my okay. house. Fair, yeah. fair, true at mine too. <laughs> uh time to take down the Christmas lights. Lest the neighbors oh, know that man. you really have no time left in your life. Sirach, <laughs> give us our, te- our text here for, for this uh, Sunday, Annie. Yes, okay. The, for the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time, our first reading is from the book of Sirach, chapter 15, verses 15 through 20. Mm-hmm. Our responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 119. Got a long gospel this weekend, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 37, and the epistle is St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. So you ready to start? There we go, let's go. Sirach chapter 15, how are you going to find Sirach in your Bible? It's right in the middle. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So uh, Sirach chapter 15. Starting with verse 15. Go ahead, Annie. All right, here we go. If you choose, you can keep the commandments. They will save you. If you trust in God, you too shall live. He has set before you fire and water. To whichever you choose, stretch forth your hand. Before man are life and death, good and evil. Whichever he chooses shall be given him. Immense is the wisdom of the Lord. He is mighty in power and all-seeing. The eyes of God are on those who fear him. He understands every man's de- he understands man's every deed. No one does he command to act unjustly. To none does he give license to sin. Nice. All right. So, Father, just you know, as a reminder. Yeah. Tell us what the book of Sirach is all about and how this passage sort of fits into that. Yeah, I just want to encourage everybody to go back to Sirach chapter one. 
actually not chapter one to what's called the prologue the prologue the prologue was not written by well let's let's start with the title okay at least in my in my uh rsv this book is comes with a number of different titles that reflect its history a little bit ecclesiasticus is at least what the rsv has here ecclesiasticus or the wisdom of jesus the son of sirach okay and so ecclesiasticus the the church book right church book right the church book why because this was the book that was used most often second only to the psalter the psalms in the early church as uh in the liturgy and it was used as a catechesis for those that wanted to become Christians. So it, it was used in the church in that way. Then you have, or the wisdom of Jesus, which for Christians are like, what? No, Jesus is the son of Sirach. Jesus is the son of Joseph and Mary, right? And then you come down the prologue about three or four sentences down there. My grandfather, Jesus, you see, Jesus did have children. Jesus and Mary. <laughs> Okay, so no, who is this guy? First of all, the, the name Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua. Mm-hmm. Yes, Yahweh saves. And so it was a common name. It wasn't, you know, Jesus is the only one with the name Jesus. And this guy certainly wasn't Mexican either. The grandfather, Jesus, was a Jew. And I say about the Mexicans, they like to name people. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. which is kind of nice. So my grandfather, Jesus. And then I'm going to come down a couple of paragraphs. When I came to Egypt in the third, in the 38th year of the reign of this Pharaoh. Okay. So this is going, here's what's going on. So there's this guy that's, that's living in about 200 years, 175 years before the coming of Christ in Jerusalem. And he's a teacher and he writes down for God's people this kind of catechetical, this moral instruction, which comes to us as the book of Sirach or the book of Ecclesiasticus, a catechetical instruction to the people how to live a righteous life. Because why? What's going on in Jerusalem at the time is that they still find themselves under oppression to foreign powers. We've gone back many times to Ezra and Nehemiah, in which they come back from the Babylonian exile and the Persians still have control over them, right? And then the Greeks gain control, and eventually the Romans will gain control. And so they're they're living in this kind of state where things are confusing and difficult. And they're asking themselves important questions about the law of Moses, about the Davidic kingdom, about how they're to live their life such that God will finally come and act because it's not the situation is not good for them. When is the Messiah going to come? And how is it that we're going to bring about his coming? Well, the answer really is given to us, or the, the result of Sirach actually is lived out in the life of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like really strict, hardcore Jews who we they get a bad rap in the gospel, but they're kind of like people that go to daily mass and pray the rosary. Okay, hmm. which is like 95% of our audience, right? <laughs> you guys are a bunch of Catholic Pharisees. No, they were just like super hardcore. Like, you don't have to go to mass every day. You don't have to pray the rosary. You don't have to do any of that stuff. It's not obligatory, right? Right, but, right. But, and so the Pharisees wanted to live this really hardcore life. Well, they're the result of Sirach because Sirach's like saying to them, look, there's the law of Moses and then there's the law of Moses, right? You can be a minimalist and just take care of what's the, you know, but if you really want to be holy, then you got to be seriously hardcore. And mm. Jesus is going to be the most hardcore in the gospel that we're, we're going to look at, right? But this is where right. Sirach comes in. And then and the second the second aspect is Sirach's grandson. 
Okay. Or we say Jesus's grandson. Yeah. Jesus's grandson goes, ends up in Egypt among those that are in the diaspora who are then asking themselves important questions about how you live in Egypt and stay a faithful Jew. And so he, he translates this text into the Greek, uh, writing this prologue, that's the grandson does, mm -hmm. for the sake of those that he finds in Egypt who are struggling to remain faithful to the Lord in a pagan context, in a foreign context, away from the temple of God, away from the sacrifices of Jerusalem, and so oftentimes isolated from their neighbor and not living in that the commun communal life that they would want to live in. And so this catechetical text is given in that in that in that way and so it talks a lot about the fear of the lord about wisdom about how one lives his life and that is exactly what we get here in sirach chapter 15 in which there's a focus upon our faith in the lord the role the role that we play in being in the in in, in the covenant of god right and so yeah. we, the first two lines here are kind of a repetition if you choose right mm -hmm. if you trust two aspects of the same reality, right? If I entrust myself to the Lord, I do so willingly, right? I choose the Lord in my life. Yeah. Then, then I will live according to the commandments. And when I do that, I will live. So you get those two lines. If you choose, you can keep the commandments. If you trust in God, you shall live, right? Mm -hmm. So in other words, keeping the commandments is your way of life. That's how you're going to live right? Which is the fundamental issue here that we have in our gospel, our Sunday gospel reflection here, not just in this text, but the whole lectionary uh, given to us this Sunday is all about this question about the commandments in our life and my relationship to them. So Annie, that's my short way of saying that's your context of who's is. I'm sorry I went a little long there. No. Okay. So, I mean, you kind of already answered this question, but maybe there's a little more that you'd like to add to it. Like, what does this passage teach us about our, our own role in our own salvation? Yeah, it's a good question because we are post Martin Luther Christians. Yeah. And don't ever think that you're, you say, well, no, wait a minute. I'm Catholic. I'm not Protestant. Although to our Protestant brothers and sisters that are out there, I love you. I'm glad you're doing this study with us. We just want you to stop protesting and return to the church which Christ founded. And if you ever want to talk with me about that, give me a call, send me an email. And whatever is still on the thing about the protest business, you got a problem with the Virgin Mary or you got a problem with the church's teaching on the confession or call me up. And we'll talk about it. But we need to set aside the objections of Martin Luther for a moment because Sirach isn't writing to Martin Luther. Sure. <laughs> okay. And so when you said that sign, like, well, what is Sirach teaching us? Well, the, the, the man has actually has a, a, a proper role to play in his salvation. We are not simply passive recipients of Jesus's sacrificial act by which he justified mankind, right? Which is which is which is Luther's understanding, in which which we are still left in our sin, and therefore when we act, we act in a, we act sinfully. In everything we do, it was tainted by sin. But if we set that aside, because this is not actually apostolic Christianity, right. God wants us and our participation in what He offers us because He establishes with us a relationship which is the only kind of relationship He can establish, which is a, a relationship of love. And love is always uh, uh, exercised in freedom, right? John says God is love, and love is the giving of our life to the beloved. 
he wants a response from us because he wants to be united to us. He wants us united to him, right? God became man that man might become God. This is what St. Athanasius says. So our participation in what God offers is, is essential. It's essential because otherwise it's a, it's an, it's a relationship of slavery and servitude. God doesn't want us to be slaves. He wants us to be sons. And if we're going to be sons, then we need to respond freely to what he offers. And here, Sirach develops this for those in Egypt or those in Jerusalem at the time, but then his grandson in, in, in Egypt saying, guys, it's, it, it's not enough to follow the commandments. You have to choose to follow the commandments, right? You can't just, you can't, it, it, you can't allow the commandments to simply be dictatorial in your life. They have to be an invitation. And if they become an invitation to you, then you, you go beyond the letter of the law and actually allow the law to be what it's meant to be in your life. And we have plenty of time to talk about that over the next half an hour, 45 minutes together. But that's ultimately what Sirach is talking about here, about our role and choosing. Now, I've got a couple of saints I want to share with you because they're beautiful. The first is St. Gaudentius of Brescia. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Brescia, Brescia. Brescia. St. Gaudensius, let's just see with that one. This is what he says. As scripture attests, God formed human beings, making them in his image and likeness and left the faculty of decision in their hands. He put before them fire and water saying, reach out your hand to to what you will. So here he's quoting Sirach. God put before man, it is said, water and fire that is rest and punishment, forgiveness and torment, life and death. Who, I ask, would not flee from torment, punishment, and death and not choose rest, forgiveness, and life? One flees death, however, who walks in the ways of the precepts that give life. One attains the gift of life who, through the effort of his commitment to spiritual things, avoids actions that bring death. This is why it is said, here is water and fire, reach out your hand. That is, your actions, to what you will. By the hand are meant actions, since we cannot be subjected to suffering without offenses or merit the prize without a fight, since the apostle says, is God unjust in inflicting his wrath? And also because no one who takes part in a contest is crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Okay, now there's St. Gaudentius, and I have one other quote I want to share with you, St. Gregory of Nyssa. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. We possess the one by creation, and we acquire the other by free will. In the first structure, it is given us to be born in the image of God. By free will, there is formed in us the being, the being in likeness of God. Hmm. Let us make man in our image, but let him also become according to the likeness. God has given the power for this. If he had created you also in likeness, where would your privilege be? Why have you been crowned? And if the creator had given you everything, how would the kingdom of heaven have opened to you? While the other has been left incomplete, this is so that you might complete it yourself and might be worthy of the reward which comes from God. I was going to say, that's kind of like that St. Paul quote about, you know, I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I was going to turn to James, to the epistle of James chapter two. We might as well turn there. Yeah. I love James. Yeah. And... um. James chapter 2, verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but has not works? Can his faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is ill-clad and in lack of daily food, this is, a, by the way, a great bridge to our gospel. Yeah. Okay. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What does it profit? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works. And I, by my works, will show you my faith. Okay? So, I got a little James here. So, here's the thing. is We, are not, we don't live a, a divided life. Okay? Man is one. In, in fact, one of my professors, Dr. William Marsh, used to say for Luther, faith is the unwork. Right? It is the, un, it is the non-work. Right? But, in wow. fact, it is a work itself. Right? Yeah. It is a gift from God, but one which must be exercised. I have my place in that exercising, that choosing, that doing. We were talking about that last week um, regarding the Beatitudes and the week before, I think, also. um, Mm -hmm. That Christians, we must begin, again, to get up and do something about what is being given to us. And that that goes to our situation also regarding how we approach the faith and the commandments of the church. There's much to be learned here in Sirach in which it says, guys, it's not enough to just do what the law says. You actually, if you want to talk about virtue, virtue actually, you can say that a man is virtuous when he desires to do the good, not only when he does the good. I might do a virtuous act, doesn't make me a virtuous person, Sure, if you, if you will, right? I might do a good act doesn't make me a virtuous person. The virtuous one is the one who desires. You got to look at Mother Teresa as a great example, right? Mother Teresa, you and I might walk down the streets of Calcutta today and inspired by Mother Teresa, we kind of get ourselves, I'm going to help that person who's dying over there, right? And it smells and and the situation's bad and there's, it's the streets of Calcutta is, 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 you know, but I'm going to do it. Oh, that's not a virtuous act, not in its proper sense, right? Mother Teresa sees that person and she goes to them she in, and is and filled with, with, with compassion and love and desire. Yeah, there's, there's no, mm, there's no pinch in the nose, if you will, right? So, yeah. so, um, so, and that's what Sirach's getting at here regarding the law the kind of moral instruction which he lays out i hope that's helpful because we're going to turn to the gospel and i think when we do it starts to become clear but before that we got to do the responsorial psalm yeah but i have one more question about Sirach. oh all right okay i told you everything i know about Sirach, so I don't well, know what these else. last couple i just want you to comment here these last couple of lines in this passage yeah no one does he command to act unjustly to none does he give license to sin isn't that obvious i mean like why would you have to state that god doesn't give anyone license to sin yeah i mean i guess there's a couple of things i could say about that you know there, there's there's the context of the jews at the time right that so oftentimes the law is used as a instrument by which they excuse themselves and actually sin against their brother and and Jesus has to kind of call them back, right? That really comes out in the gospel so often, the gospel of John, right? Where Jesus heals people on the Sabbath day, and they're like, you can't do that, right? The law says, 
And so, so there's that level, there's that level, but I'd say it's also a modern application. If you don't mind, I'm just going to do the modern application real quick and then we can move on. Please. And that, and that is, there's a miss, a miss, uh, understanding of freedom today. Mm. And it, it, so sadly it is that, that misunderstanding is, is brought out in how children are raised in which parents give the children the, well, they're free to, to choose to do what they want, right? Sure. They have to find their own path. <laughs> that's that's child abuse. No, no, my children should not, eventually, yes, they must choose. But while they're children, I help them choose the right path. And if they don't choose the right path, I'm sorry, I'm not letting them go down the wrong one. You're right? smacking their bottom back onto the better right path, right? <laughs> Freedom is not the license to do whatever I want. Yeah. I say freedom is not freedom to do what I want. That's called license, right? Freedom is the freedom to choose what is true and good. Yeah. And then the Lord says, go ahead now, choose it. I put it there for you. I give you the ability, but now you must do that thing right? Now you must choose it in your life. This is so powerful when we talk about the coming of Lent now and our approach here at the Institute of Catholic Culture, encouragement to you regarding how we're going to be approaching Lent. We have an ICC uh, evening discussion coming up called Packing Your Bags on February 20th, just before the beginning of Lent. And it's going to be an evening. It's not going to be a lecture, although I might filibuster for a little while, but an opportunity for discussion that evening to just kind of be together as an ICC family to talk about how we're going to approach Lent and maybe use some uh, principles given to us by the church fathers and then get our bags packed for the journey. Nice. And, and really what I'm going to be saying that night is this first line from Sirach. If you want to, you can. So do you want it? No. Because if you don't want it, it won't be forced on you. Hmm. Yeah. But if you want, if you want to see Christ rise from the dead, no one's going to rise from the dead with him who hasn't first died with Christ. Yeah. You have to choose. The choice is in our hands. Okay. All right, Annie, let's take a look at the responsorial psalm. Yeah. Blessed are they who follow the law of the Lord. I mean, fitting just right in with what you've been saying here yeah but now we got to take it to another level another take another step and jesus is going to do this for us also but i got to preempt and just kind of lay the groundwork there so we can when we're reading the gospel and that is this word law of the lord is so misunderstood i've said this before but maybe some new people in here want to get make sure we're all on the same page and that is the law of god in the old testament and the new is not a positive law that is you know, god doesn't check which way the wind is blowing and then you know as the Muslims believe that he could have commanded something other, right? The right. law of God is, I like to use the, the image of the car manual. The car manual is written by the guy who made the car, right? Mm -hmm. And the guy who made the car knows what is required for that car to be a happy car. He doesn't put the car manual in there to make your life difficult, although some car manuals are difficult to understand. But you know what? The law of God sometimes is hard to understand. But if you follow that car manual, your car is going to be pretty much a happy car, right? Yeah. If you don't follow the manual, you put the gas in the oil thing and the oil and the gas thing and the spark plug in the tire and it's not going to work. 
right? It's going to be a very unhappy car. And not because the car manual or the car maker hates you, but because he loves you and he wants the car to be a happy car. God loves us and he made us. He knows what is necessary in our life to make our engine run right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's what the law of God is. It is God's will for us who made us now written, not on our hearts anymore, but written on stone because Adam and Eve turned their back upon the Lord and rejected the gift of the law of God within them. The whole of the Old Testament is holding up a big old placard saying, don't forget, this is what's supposed to be inside you, right? And the whole of the New Testament is Jesus saying, here, get it back inside, right? It's on stone. Now it's going to be on flesh, right? Yeah. Jeremiah 31, 31. Am I right? Mm-hmm. How many times we turn to Jeremiah 31, 31, but we might as well turn there again. Jeremiah 31, 31. You're going to beat me there. I don't know about that. I got it. I'm almost there. There. I'm there. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand and brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Though I was their husband, says the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. There you have it. When the Messiah finally comes, Jeremiah says, this is what he's going to do for us, right? He's going to place it in here. Now, I can still choose to have the law outside of me. And in fact, isn't that the struggle of the Christian life? Is get it inside. Now, it's the seed is implanted in our hearts through holy baptism. But that seed must be cultivated. It must be watered. It must be tilled and kept. It must be chosen. And if we choose it, we can allow it to grow in our life to the point where we become Mother Teresa. Yeah? And that choice becomes the easy one. It becomes, it starts out as a very difficult one. It's a difficult good. But when, when we've achieved it, then th that, that ease of the virtuous life kicks in. And then that law of God, the will of God in my life becomes mine in my choice, my will, because my will is now conformed to God's will. Yeah. So don't think of the law like maybe we thought about it in the Old Testament and all these things. Every law of the Old Testament was given to the Jews so as to bring them back into conformity with the will of God. Every one of the laws to bring back this reality that Jeremiah 31, 31 talks about. Psalm 119, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. There you have it. Blessed are those who observe his decrees, who seek him with their, with their heart. Okay. Not just those who do the law, but when they seek him with their whole heart. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. Oh, that I might be firm in the ways of keeping your statutes. Be good to your servants that I may live and keep your words. There's Sirach again, right? Mm -hmm. Open my eyes that I may consider the wonders of your law. I love that, that line because you, you don't yeah. think about the Mosaic law as wonder, do you? 
No. No, and I want I'm, I'm gonna challenge you Catholics. Do you think about the church's law with wonder? Hmm. Yeah, because there's a, a certain there's a joy that develops in the saints. They joyfully they joyfully go to church. This is why the the monks and and nuns they're in church like six eight hours a day, you know, because that's where they want to be. That's it, you know. I was uh, having a uh, conversation with a parishioner of mine who said, "Lent already? Are you serious?" And it and I love this person and they're they're uh, they're a good member of the community, but. But I said, as, as, as pastor, I said to myself, and don't you know it's Lent? Or, like, and, and, and don't you kind of fearfully desire it? It's coming. And it's going to be a life-changing, powerful experience. And I can't wait, but I, I'm trembling at the thought of it. Yeah. But to kind of, you see the difference of the approach, sure. right? Absolutely. Difference way a nun might approach going to church on Sunday and your average and me, right? <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta get up early. Ah, oh, gee whiz, you know. But our the whole goal of our spiritual life is to begin to choose that for ourselves. I want it, I desire it, and that desire will grow. And then and then it's not a matter of did I fulfill my obligation, but where else, what other how else can I eat from the, the garden of the Lord, right? Always more opportunities for growth, anyways. Blessed are those who follow the law of the Lord because they they're blessed because they find the meaning of their life. Hmm. Okay. Let's take a look at the gospel, Annie. Yeah. Okay. So we're in Matthew chapter five, starting with verse 17. Now this is long, Annie. It's just some of our par parishes. Is there like an optional Sunday that the yes. bishops give here? Yes. Oh, there I don't is. suggest it. I don't yeah. suggest it. So we're gonna read. Like, yeah, whole if you're if you're at mass this Sunday and it seems a lot shorter than what I'm reading right now, they're using the optional shorter version. But there you go. Well, let's this do it. is the full, the whole enchilada. Yeah, the whole enchilada. Go. Matthew five seventeen through thirty seven. Let's go. All right, here we go. Jesus said to his disciples, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill." Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to fiery Gehenna. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go first and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court 
Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into Gehenna. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not take a false oath, but make good to the Lord all that you vow. But I say to you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. Whew. Okay, a lot to unpack here. <laughs> so nice of Jesus. I know, right? Hippie <laughs> Jesus and his Birkenstocks, right, Father? Yeah, yeah. Hi, yeah, Well, let's get our bearings here first. Yeah. So, talk about how how this particular passage fits into the the wider Sermon on the Mount that we've been reading for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. So, um, I think you know you've got your Bibles open there, and you can just see that it is one that is one Sermon on the Mount, if you will, right? And Jesus is going to be. This is as I mentioned last week. This is Jesus's what uh training camp right mm-hmm. boot, camp, boot camp right for his disciples who are going soon to become apostles right they're soon they're going to be sent out and they're learning how to live according to the teachings of Jesus and they're asking themselves important questions about that life with him and he's just given certainly Matthew as many have pointed out Matthew presents Jesus in terms of a kind of in terms of an as a new Moses here as he goes up on the mountain and then and then delivers to his followers these instructions about how to live the moral life right which is all our blesseds right the the beatitudes um there that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks Matthew's certainly kind of writing in terms in in a context that looks very much like Mount Sinai and the gathering of God's people. They're receiving the instruction of how they're to live, how they're to live their life. And then he's he, then he clarifies, right? That and this is all, I guess we might call it a clarification, right? For his for his followers. And and the fundamental first problem we run into here is the question regarding. The law, right, Annie? And I'm sure you want to ask that question. It's right off the at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, if one iota of the law is not passing away, then I mean, why aren't we as Christians following all of the Old Testament law? 
Yeah, Catholics. Why have you been suckered by a medieval invention called the Catholic Church into abandoning authentic Christianity and not worshiping on the Sabbath day, as the commands say, not keeping the kosher laws and so forth like that? Now, we have coming up here at the Institute over the next couple of months, a number of talks on this point. Okay, how is it that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law? Well, what does it mean that we are? Uh, how is it that that well, this passage can be true, right? That we can be authentic Christians, followers of Christ, and yet it appears, at least at first glance, that we don't follow the law as it was prescribed by Moses, right? And then Jesus kind of throws like salt into the wound and says. And says not only to follow the law, but you got to actually be more serious about the law than Moses talked about, right? So he's 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 like he's doubling down in this entire passage. So how do we understand that Jesus is has come to fulfill the law? First of all, we have to go back to what we were saying earlier about what the law is, the purpose of the law, right? I think it's it's um, Leviticus nineteen. Let's turn to Leviticus nineteen. Okay. Say to all the all the congregation, the people of Israel, you shall be holy, right? Which is the purpose of all of the law, right? right. That right. God's people be holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy, right? So the whole of the law is that we might be like God, right? And this is where I go back to the car manual business. And also Jesus's teaching regarding the law itself. Okay. And, and so I want to take this passage now. I want to bring in one other teaching of Jesus. And I think it highlights and helps us understand this. And that is, because uh, I've got my, my hand here in Matthew chapter five, where a gospel is. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. 22 verse, verse 34. Okay. We'll start there. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of the lawyer, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Okay. And and you can just put a little note there. I have a little note I wrote in my Bible for reference. Leviticus 19, verse 18, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Okay, Leviticus 19, 18, Deuteronomy 6, 5. This is the center of, of the law. This is the heart of it, right? In this, the whole of the law is, is summed up, right? Why? Because the whole of the law is the car manual. The whole of the law is God's will enfleshed in man right? Well, I should say written on stone, hmm. right? In the Old Testament. But it's not supposed to be written on stone. It's written on stone because of the fall. It's a big sign saying, warning, hello, don't forget. But Jeremiah says there's going to be a day when that returns to its proper place. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets because Jesus is the walking will of God. He is God in the flesh. He is the incarnation of the law. Because the law isn't supposed to be written on stone. 
because the law is the will of God. Do you understand the connection? What yeah. Jesus does fulfills the law because he is it. Yeah, in flesh yeah. and man. So now the question is, how do I conform my life to, 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 to Jesus? Right? Is Jesus here in this gospel says, wait a minute, it's not about the, the sentences that you read. It's about what's behind those sentences, right? Over and over again. You heard it said. He says, but I say, and every time he says that over and over again, right? You heard it said, but I say, I highlighted him here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You heard it said, but I say, you heard it said, but I say, again, you've heard it said, but I say, okay. Over and over again in this gospel, he keeps saying this. And each time he says that he reads the sentence of the law. And then he says, yeah, but you got to go to what's underneath that. It's not enough. For you Catholics to fulfill your obligation, oh Jews at the time of Sirach, God's looking at something deeper here. And what's deeper here is what I'm coming to restore. No longer written on stone, but written on your hearts. Yeah. So, so Jesus certainly has not come to abolish the law. He's come to return it to its proper place enfleshed in man so that I might desire to do the things of God. I might choose life, as Sirach says. I choose obedience to the law of God. I might desire to, uh, well, let's make it practical with the, with the Beatitudes. I, I desire to help my brother who is suffering. Not because I have to, but because I want to, right? I, I want to tithe, not because I have to, because I want to. I want to offer my talents, not because I have to, because I want to, because I realize that is a gift I've received, and it is a gift that is to be given. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in this in this gospel, in which he says we got to go. We it, it's not it's not enough for you not to uh, commit adultery, okay? Because because what what is it that brought about the act of adultery? What brought about the act of the adultery was here. The physical act is a manifestation. It's a flowering. It's a fruit, an evil fruit of, of what's here. So let's get to the root and let's get this right. And then once we get this right, we can talk about James. In which our faith is born out in works. Yeah, the works are important because they reveal this just as Adultery is important because it reveals this. Yeah. And all of this given to us now in, in, in the context of, of, of Lent, which I want to say something about Annie, but I don't know if you have other questions. Yet. No, that was going to be my next question. How does this help us pack our bags for Lent? Mm, yeah, because, because um, the church's obligation that she gives you is not enough. No one's going to be saved because they went to church on Sunday because they had to. I could go to church. Every ob- obligation, the church here, and not really fulfill the obligation. No. <laughs> right? I no. mean, let's 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 speak in terms of how the Jews are approaching the law. Yeah. God, do you think God needs that? No. He wants your heart. 
He wants you there. He wants you worshiping him and praising him because he's given his life to you. And that act of love, which is, which is our worship of him, is our proper response to that. So when we're getting ready to pack our bags for Lent, we shouldn't be asking ourselves, you know, what do we have to do? But what can we do? How can I grow in the spiritual life? Well, the church fathers, and we'll be talking about this more, give us three ways, right? Fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. And, and, and you might say to yourself, oh, Father Hezekiah, that's just old-timey stuff. And the church now says we just have to be nice to people. I don't really have to fast. Besides that, I, I, I aged out, right? I aged out. The church says after 60 years old, I don't have to fast. Your grandmother fasted and she lived to 110. So they give me a, I can't fast at 65 years old because I'm in retirement age. Okay, nonsense. But that's the ultimate question that we have to ask ourselves going back to Sirach. And that is what, it, what choices are you going to make? Are you ready to make a choice? Are you ready to choose for yourself? Not to have the church choose for you. Maybe the church's choice is your guiding light. But do you desire it? You're going to make that choice your own. That's the ultimate question we have to ask ourselves. And that's what we meditated upon over the next couple of weeks as we prepare ourselves for the beginning of our Lenten journey. For as St. Paul says, the spirit scrutinizes everything in our for this this is our epistle, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. And nothing will be hidden from God, which is basically what you just said, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, mm-hmm. verses 6 through 10. Let's just do it very quickly, Annie, and we'll just pull that one point and we will be done. 1 Corinthians okay, chapter great. 2, verse 6 through 10. Brothers and sisters, we speak a wisdom to those who are mature, not a wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Rather, we speak God's wisdom, mysterious, hidden, which God predetermined before the ages for our glory, and which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him. For this, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit scrutinizes everything, even the depths of God. Mm. Just a couple things about wisdom. There's wisdom, the classical definition of wisdom is the knowledge of the causes of things. That is, in, in layman's terms, it means what made it or how it was made, right? And for what it was made. Yeah, the purpose of the thing. And so, to be able to see something and know what its, what's, what its purposes are and what its proper place is in the order of creation, how it is to be used towards its proper end. And my brothers and sisters, that's all about Lent, right? Getting everything back in their proper order so that everything is directing us toward our Heavenly Father. But what beautiful words these are at the end. What God has prepared for those who follow his commandments, who f- fulfill obligations. No. Now, be careful. Father's saying, I'm not saying you don't have to follow the obligations of the church. I'm just saying they can't remain as obligations. That's all I'm saying. You have to do those things, or you're invited to do those things, I should say. And when you do, you'll discover life within them, right? That's what Sirach is talking about, about the commandments. God, 
what God has prepared for those who love him. This God is revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit scrutinizes even the depths of God. And I just say, there's nothing hidden. There's nothing hidden. You want the life of the resurrection and go and get it. That's it. Do you want to rise from the dead? Then go and get it. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.